With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to another edition of The Coffee Cast with Cation and Ruben, powered by Behind the Racket, Mike Cation and Noah Rubin joining you for another look back at last week in, in Cary, the beautiful Atlantic Tire Championships at the Cary Tennis Park, and also talking a little bit about rankings today as we head towards Tiburon in the back quarter of the 2019 campaign. Noah, how are you in, in Long Island? Doing well. God, body took a beating the past couple weeks, but, you know, trying to get it back in order right now. And just an absolute pleasure to look at you petting your cat. And that is not a euthanism. That is literally taking place in front of me right now. Yeah. Let, let me just say, so we're recording this. I literally got home uh, about four or five hours ago. Uh, my cat, who is, God bless her, she's 16 years of age at this point, and she has not left me for a second it's entirely possible, folks, that we may have one or two uh, interruptions because she is so excited to have her her human uh, around her. I'm also wearing, uh, I don't know if you saw this, this is a, a, a cat shirt, Noah, <laughs> that is uh, awful. In, <laughs> in her honor. Um, but so that, that may happen. So uh, apologies if it does happen, but Bonita is, is uh, a big friend uh, of the podcast, so we're going to let her just, just yeah. do it. We had a you know a busy couple of weeks. You deserve some time, but yeah, I mean yeah. we we both you know had some late dinners last last week. Yeah, after some nice God rain delays and just long matches and. Let me yeah. just let's just let's just say we had uh, we had a dinner at um, let me uh, let me just let me preface <laughs> the people at at in, re- regarding the challenger. Everybody is fantastic. Ted and and Sean and Aaron. Uh, everybody's so great. I like. I love going down there uh, to the Cary Tennis so Park. Hard. They they take it's it's really well done. It's a really good challenger. Um, and we had one of those nights where we went to Brick's Pizza, and the conversation at the bar was about as backwards, just awful. Like. <laughs> Slurs of minorities, slurs of given of it's eleven thirty now. Yes, and slurs <laughs> of of sexual preferences. Just a bizarre, like where are we? Type of a moment. There's my cat uh, acting up just a little bit, but it was just one of those moments where I was just like, oh yeah, yeah, that this really does actually happen in America. It, it's pretty awful. Yeah, no, and we're exhausted. We're just trying to get a yes. bite to eat and hear this guy <laughs> screaming. And people are actually, you know, speaking out against it, which is nice to see. But I was like, I just want some food and to not cramp at dinner and to go home. But it was really it. close. 
It was close, and he turned it into this escapade that we had to combat in, in some ways. But yeah, no, it, uh, besides that, and, and some exhaustion on your end and mine as well, and it was a pretty good week. I, I mean, uh, it was good coming after New Haven. I think the best thing about last week, uh, for me at least, was the involvement of Tennis Channel. Um, we obviously are part of the Tennis Channel podcast. have to put that out there when we say this. But they were, for the first time at any challenger, from first ball until last ball, they were with us. Um, and that's obviously what I do normally at a challenger for the ATP and the USTA Pro Circuit live streams. Um, but for Tennis Channel to be that involved throughout the week was a huge impact um, in terms, I, I saw it just in Twitter mentions, in terms of Instagram messages, and I'm so thankful so many people reached out and were very um, appreciative of the commentary and getting to learn a little bit about it. But it also showed me in, in talking with people online um, who were watching Challenger for the first time and also talking to people on site in Cary, there's a lot of education still that that needs to happen in terms of people learning about this level, what it actually is. Yeah, I mean, I was, I'm still getting messages. I'm still getting phone calls saying, oh my God, we turned on the screen, you know, on the tennis channel and you were there. Just having yeah. that, that mixture of that different level of tennis. And I think that's really exciting. I think that's what people need to see so they can actually understand what's going on in this level, what a challenger player, what a challenger tournament really means, the good and the bad. I think it's understanding that maybe we don't get the same crowds, but that level of tennis is still there. You know, the same professionalism is still there. And, and I think that's really exciting for a lot of people to see. So, you know, hoping Tennis Channel uses this and it was a positive momentum push for them and then they're going to continue it. Um, but yeah, again, I'm getting a lot of messages, people saying we need more of that. So thanks, Tennis Channel. I, we do appreciate it. Yeah, and no doubt about that. By the way, we should also mention the podcast is brought to you by New Balance. All of our friends at NewBalance.com appreciate their involvement. And go check out all of the latest styles, including that tennis court pattern worn by, of course, Coco Goff and also J.C. Aragoni in, mm. in uh, Highlighting it on, yeah, on the tennis channel. But the biggest question I got as I was going through the week, mostly from people in Kerry, was why is Andres Seppi playing our tournament? Yes. I don't know. Yes. Did you did you get that at all? Because I got it all the time. Well, I got it in the week before when I played him in the quarterfinals. Okay. And that was a 125. And then they're like, wait, he's also playing carry, which is an 80. And that's, you know, points-wise and mo oh, so money-wise, guys, that's basically cut in half for winning it. And points-wise, you're talking about, you know, uh, you know a 50-point difference, basically. So for him to go down to the 80, I mean... That's a jump for him. I mean, that is some, some a place he hasn't been in a while. But right. There's a reason for that. There's a reason he's there. So he was ranked number 18 in the world, former top 20 player. And right now, as of last week, I, I don't know what he was today after winning, I think 74, but he was ranked 77 in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I basically explained to people is I was trying to just simplify it as much as I possibly could. The fact that he's having about 200 points to defend the rest of the year. And when I would say that, for you and I, tennis heads, tennis knowledgeable people, oh, okay, 200 points to defend the rest of the year, sure, okay, he has to pick up some points. 
But for a common fan who's just there to watch good tennis, they have no idea what that means. And so that's kind of what we're talking about today is, is defending points, that whole culture of te- defending points, which is something you have to worry about year round. So he had 180 points to defend um, from some ATP 250s and I think a 500 from last year. And what that means is it's a 52-week ranking system. I'm, I'm going to dumb it down here. 52-week ranking system, it's your top 18 results. Mm-hmm. And um, if from, say, last year at Kerry, if you won 15 points for being in a quarterfinal, you have to then defend those points the next year. Um, and it's just the accumulation of your top 18 results that count towards your ranking. Um, and I, I'd like for you to kind of talk about the pressures of, of what that means um, in, in terms of a player as you're thinking about specifically some of the bigger results that you have throughout a year. No, it's it's absolutely brutal. I think it actually prevents this idea of playing tennis to play tennis. I mean, you look at the finals of Kerry. You have, you have Seppi versus Mo. You're saying Seppi had 180 points to you know stay amongst the top 100 players so he can make main draw of a slam. Right. That's a lot of pressure in itself. And for a lot of people that don't understand the difference, the money vastly changes from level to level, but the points necessarily aren't the same. So winning a challenger gets you a fair amount of points. You know, to get 80 to 100 points in a challenger, you're going to have to win it. But in an ATP, you're going to have to semi. And you might have to play a three top 50 guys in an ATP event to get there, while an ATP might not even play a top 100 player. So this is where Seppi's like, maybe this is a better chance for me to accumulate those points. And then you have Michael Moe. Yeah, this Moe, is a tough stretch. Tough stretch. I mean, I, I, feel, I feel his pain first and foremost because, you know, he was injury-strucken early, you know, mid this year where it prevented him from playing at all. And then coming back, I understand how tough it is and how difficult it is to continue momentum from prior to injury. So he was fortunate enough to play really good tennis last year, won the Columbus Challenger and the Tiburon Challenger that are coming up in a week from now. Actually, Columbus is going on right the second. Sorry. Right. Um, so he has now in his head 180 points to defend in just the next two weeks alone. If he yeah. doesn't, if he makes 179 points, which is, I guess, impossible, you know, that number, he will lose a single point. I mean, he will actually go down the rankings. This is the pressures that come with it. So for him to, you know, get to a point where he's finaling carry after, you know, a tough stretch for him, I think was super important. But at the yeah. same time, it's still not getting him in a place where he can, you know, breathe. He's not breathing yet. He is focusing full-heartedly on getting points. And I think this leads to a lot of issues. I mean, you, you've been in the booth many, many times you know when somebody's defending points. Can you yep. tell the difference in the style of play, in the head games they're playing with themselves? You see it. I'm sure you – I mean, can you attest to Oh, for to this? sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and that's why I was actually so surprised to see Mo play very well last mm-hmm. week. Um, he, I don't know if he knew this or if he was – he must have been doing a very good job. He would have fallen to about 400 in the world had he not won a match for these three weeks last week, Columbus and Tiburon. Um but but typically what happens is there are I, I think about say JC Aragoni going through a an eleven match losing streak this year um, and having thinking about those points to defend to get into the French Open it, it's it, it just really riddles a player with nerves 
um, in, in terms of just that idea of I have to defend these points. I have 100 points that I have to defend before X so that I can get into the next slam. And it's just like the end of a match, um, except over a stretch of weeks. Just that idea of I have to do this or else. And it's the same thing like at the end of a match. That's just where it's acute, right? It's just I have to close out on my serve or else I lose. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just a much tighter atmosphere, especially at this challenger level when, when that pressure to get into the slams, be it in qualifying or be it in main draw, is even bigger than, say, somebody who's 20 in the world. No, 100%. And, and honestly, I think I was watching a little bit of Mo Sarkeesian first round of carry. Yeah. He dropped the first set there. And, yes, he did. And that's where you see some of the nerves come into play. And I'm sure, I mean, he kept his cool and, and got through, which is, is truly incredible. And for the average fan, they may not understand that. But in his head, I can assure you, I can assure you, he was totally thinking about, well, if I lose this, what happens? What's right. next? Right. So, again, I mean, these are the things. But, you know, I'll talk about a good friend of mine, Bjorn Fratangelo. Yep. Since Wimbledon, he's been dealing with an acute injury in his foot, something that has been aching him. It's been a really difficult run. He's pushed through matches at the Open and, and played five sets, but it's very tough for him to go back-to-back. Back. But here's somebody that's trying to stay, if not push into the main draw of slams. And I'm talking to him, and I'm like, oh, you're definitely going to take some time off now. He's like, wait, why? I, I have points to defend. I have to play. But I'm like... You have an injury. You have to look out for your interests as a human first. He's like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, I have to do this. And this we see constantly. You see players forcing it, pressing the issue of playing tournaments solely for this idea that I have to make qualities or I have to stay at my ranking point. And that's where you get people truly injuring themselves. That's where the happiness is lost because you're not playing to play. You're not playing to improve anymore. You're playing to stay. You're playing to, you know be at the same ranking spot or, or try to reach a goal because that's what tennis, you know, strives for. It, it, it pushes you in a direction where if you don't play, if you don't win, you're going to go down. Yeah, and, and to, to exemplify your point, um, right now Bjorn is 135 in the live rankings. He is defending the Fairfield Challenger title in three weeks. If he doesn't win another match... Uh, through that, he will fall from 135 to roughly 169. So lose about 35, 40 spots. And on top of it, he has points to defend uh, even further past that. So, you know, he's thinking about staying inside the top 200 at this point. Right. And, you know, he's not worried about maybe making qualifying at the Australian Open. But maybe his thought a month ago was, how can I make main draw of Australian right. Open? And now his thought is... Well, I just I, I need to stay in maybe that seeding area. I have to stay where I am to give myself the best chance next year. And to kind of put it in perspective for people that are still not really understanding our point, like if Rafael Nadal plays a full schedule next year and loses every single match, he doesn't have a ranking. There is no idea, there is no thought that like, oh, he's Rafa, he's you know, he's obviously top five in the world at what he does. Let's keep him there. No, if he only wins three matches next year, he's 400 in the world. Rafael right. Nadal will be 400. And I, I don't think, you know, that's that's not in other sports. Yes, maybe your your standings in, in your league will be different and everything. But at the same time, you're in the same league. You know, one, you know, one result from last year won't majorly affect your ability to win 
the following year, stuff like that. So I think people have an under have to have an understanding of how difficult it is for players to continually week in week out play great tennis, and that's that's where the issues stem. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So let's talk a little bit about the idea of a protected ranking and what that means. Um... Because I, I think that's one thing that that is certainly a, an issue in terms of how players resume their careers after an injury. Um, how, do you know off the top of your head how long you have to be out in order to use a protected ranking? My guess, I believe, is six <laughs> months. I think that's right. <laughs> yes. I believe it's six months out where you basically have a hold on the ranking spot that you were at since you played that tournament. And then it allows you to come back after your injury using this, I want to say ghost ranking. I don't know what you want to call it, but yeah. this ranking. The that, ranking where you were where you, when, you, when you left. Right. So it's what you once were, but at the same time that you have this ghost ranking, your actual ranking is there as well that you can see. So you have a certain amount of tournaments, and this is a very tricky subject for any player to truly understand. But you have a certain amount of tournaments that you can use this ghost ranking to enable you to you know, get into higher-ranked tournaments like you were before you were injured. And then there comes a time where you use up that allotted amount of tournaments, and then you go back to the ranking that you're actually at. And that's, you know, and there are definitely players, some of the top players that have been 30 in the world that have this, and they find their way back. And there's others that, you know, were maybe around the 130, 90 range that... You know, after their ranking, your ghost ranking falls away, that they're they can't manage to come back at the same level, and you find them at 250. And but it is a little bit of a gift to maintain that ranking, but I think there needs to be a lot more, you know, to help the player out. In this idea, because this is a lot of it we're talking about is numbers. It's it's not the most sexy of topics, Noah. Um, if we're being blunt about it, how do we? make it so that we're, players are not having to contend with this idea of defending points on a continual basis um, so that tennis is at the forefront as opposed to the numbers? You know, there's been a lot of rumors about what people are looking for. Um, I know the two-year ranking system mm-hmm. has been talked about. You know, that puts a lot of emphasis on one or two great results that you can can keep for two years. And a lot of people are saying that's not the best algorithm to see who, you know, what that ranking should really be at because you can have two good results in two years and keep those. I mean, that's, right. that's a problem. Honestly, I, I think you have to, there's fundamental changes that need to take place because there is no way to go about it differently in my head with the system that we have right now. I mean, please, you tell me what you, I'm sure you've thought about before because you see how, negatively it impacts players and how and just impacts the tennis the style of tennis and the level yeah i think honestly Noah, my my answer is not going to thrill you 
I'm I'm a big proponent, as you know, of shortening seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I actually think um, the the ranking system as is is actually okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think we need to limit tournaments. 100%. Limit numbers limit numbers of tournaments so that um, you, you know a guy like you who might be healthy for the entire year you have say thirty five opportunities to make that eighteen. Um, then Bjorn Fertangelo, who's dealing with uh, this nagging pretty substantial injury, he might only have twenty four opportunities to do so. And I think that lim- that idea of unlimited opportunities for some and limited for others because of health is really the root cause of what's this problem. No, I agree 100%. Even if we change it from your top 18 tournaments to your top 14, and then you shorten the season, then you're just saying, you know what, play good tennis for nine yes. months, let's say, right. and then whatever happens after that, it's fine. But right now, you're giving opportunities to players that are just managing to do okay for a very long period of time, and then you're taking out the players that have been struck by injury too many times that you know, can't play the longer seasons. And I think that's where a lot of the issues stem. I mean, you're 100% right. I think you see it. I mean, we talk about it now, especially as, you know, we talked about with Chris Eubanks in our last podcast, the idea that people think the season's over after the U.S. Open. Right. We have three months to go, and a lot of things happen in those three months for players from 250 to, you know, 150 to 250 in that range to, you know, try to make a push. And, you know, people aren't in the best state of minds because the season is too long. So I think if we shorten the seasons, shorten the amount of, you know, tournaments that are allotted that count towards your ranking, I think it could help. I mean, you know, I don't know what the juniors is right now, but when I was playing, it was only, I believe, it was like eight or something. I forgot what it was. It was a much smaller number of tournaments that counted towards your ranking, but nobody seemed to have an issue with it. It's still showed who the best players in the world were at the time so let's translate this to you and and your rest of your 2019 campaign um what do you have to defend uh and then how are you structuring your schedule to best maximize that you know since this whole idea of of trying to schedule better to be more conducive to my happiness I am really focusing on how many tournaments in a row can I play? How far do you think I can push it? And just understanding when I need rest and when I need to really take a breather. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to definitely pick up some points in New Haven and Kerry that allowed me to make up the points that I'm going to be missing in Tiburon and Stockton. And Stockton's not even on the schedule this year. Right. Which is tough for anybody who has points to make up. But um, so for right now, I, I... since these last three months have been a very tough mental and physical battle for me in the past years, I'm making sure that I get, I'm giving up a week to save two months, if that makes sense. You know, Mm -hmm. instead of pushing it that extra week, I'm going to take a week off. I'm going to take two weeks off to get my body in order, to get my mind in order, to make sure that the weeks that I do play, I'm ready for. I am going to put 100% into it. And if I lose first round, I lose first round. But I already saw that, you know, I did it for New Haven and Kerry and I got a semi in quarters that was good, you know, got some points there. And I'm I'm making sure I have my rest right now, making sure everything's in order. So when I step into Fairfield and Vegas and the last few tournaments in the year, I'm feeling prepared. I'm feeling like, you know what, I'm giving myself the best chance to win. And I think a lot of people push the envelope too much 
because they don't want to end it on a low. You know, they don't want to end before preseason. They don't want to end before Australian Open on a low. And I see it. They're forcing it, whether they're injury or they're just tired or burnt out. You have to know when to take weeks off. You have to know when to take the foot off the gas a little bit. Because, again, I think a lot of players in the pro, this whole pro professional mentality has switched on a lot of players and forced them to play eight weeks in a row. And then you see it. You see, you know, the times where the burnt down. And you're like, why are you here? So pick the pick the tournaments wisely. Pick when you know you're happiest, especially at the end of the year, and make the most out of it. Because honestly, I've seen it too many times. I've I've done it myself. Where, you know, I'm gonna call out champagne just because it's the last tournament of the year. Mm. But we see some really ugly tennis. Yeah, we see some really ugly tennis. And again, that is not conducive to points, to playing, to mindset, or anything. So I think players have to do a much better job of understanding, you know, when they're done, when they have to, you know, maybe throw out a week just to be home and, and get the mind right and, and get out there and play some good tennis. Champagne, I always say, whomever is is motivated that week has a very strong chance of reaching a semifinal. If you hear a come on, you're like, yes. whoa, this guy yeah, may it's... actually get to the semi. And, and it happens. I mean, you know, you've seen it where a top guy is playing and then they're playing, you know, some kid they may not know, but the guy's saying, come on, it's late in the year. And he's like, I don't need this right now. Right. Yeah. I don't need any of this. And then you hear the, the the top guy starts cursing, and Mike is, you're probably on you know on the phone like, up, oh, yep, this is gonna be an early night. <laughs> <laughs> and you see it, you see it all the time, and that's why people are like, I can't believe I saw these results in in Houston even or Champagne. You're like, guys, people want it more than others. Yes. And that's all it is at the end of the year. So you're going to take this coming week off, which is Tiburon, which I know is a tournament that most players absolutely love, um, to skip that one and then go to Fairfield, Vegas, and then what are you doing for the indoors? Again, at that point, I want to see where I am mentally and physically. I love Charlottesville. I've always been a huge fan of it. Um, you know, going to try to play that one. That would be three in a row and then see where the mind and body is. If I have to take a week off and then finish with one more week, which would be the last week of the year, either Champaign or Houston, I will. Um and just to throw this out there, it's a discussion for another day, but Stockton is off the schedule. And I think it's important for people to understand, again, how tough it is, how tough it is not only for the players to make money, but the tournaments as well. I just want people to understand that Stockton, a tournament where people have to defend points in a tournament that connected Tiburon to Fairfield, that intermediate one that you know enabled us to have three tournaments in California – is now gone, and that makes it very difficult for players to plan their schedule accordingly. And now, you know, you see some players, luckily the U.S. have a training block in Carson that will connect it a little bit, but, you know, that's not ideal, especially end of the year, to have a tournament, then have a week off, then have another tournament. You know, you want to have that block. So I think that's a really tough thing for players to see, especially the Challenger Tour when we're trying to have more tournaments. And I just hope people understand just how important it is to have more, not less. And especially when people are trying to defend and put the schedules together. So, well, uh, I'm going to be in Tiburon next week. Um, and I think the big exciting news that we're proud to announce right now is that we're going to have Tommy Paul on for next week's podcast. Um, yes. so that, that was kind of the plan and carry. And unfortunately we weren't able to make it happen, especially with, with all those contrasting schedules, mine, Noah's, and, and Tommy's, but we're going to record next Sunday evening with Tommy Paul and then have that for you next Monday morning. I was too busy getting uh, palms to the face by Chris Eubanks. That was a pretty cool moment, though, huh? Yeah, no, that was uh, that was something else. I mean, that just 
goes so far beyond sports and everything else to just prove that you know after a battle like that friendship tri triumphs all and we and there's like a mutual respect for the battle and i think people actually understood that and you know there was not a lot of negative feedback it was like god that's really cool i mean th those are people that put everything out there for two and a half 245 out there on the court you know 10 o'clock 11 o'clock at night and there's still mutual love and respect and you know even after people listen to our podcast last <laughs> time um i think there's no question that we're you know we're pretty close friends and and again um there's like I said in my caption, I complain about the system and, and a lot of things need to change. But at the end of the day, we, we love the sport for the reasons we love the sport. We love the battle, the competition. And there is a little family in this world. And, I mean, sadly, you and I are family, Mike. I mean, that's that's kind of what it came down to. Thanks. Uh, you know, it was so big. I mean, Brett, Brett Haber even mentioned it on Twitter. I mean, that was a big deal. Yeah, I was getting around to a lot of people. Um I wanted to see a few extra retweets after that, but no, I got like 70,000 views. I mean, I'll take it and get the publicity, you know, and tennis doesn't, doesn't get that too often, especially in the positive light. So uh, we'll take what we can get. So don't forget, Tommy Paul will join us on the podcast next week. And if you have any thoughts about what topics you want us to discuss, let us know at Noah Rubin 33 at Mike C tennis. We're more than happy to uh, respond to any thoughts you might have. I actually responded to some, some critics yesterday on Twitter uh, right after the, the singles final who, who criticized me for talking about um, the sun coming out for the first time um, and how it was actually what kind of an impact it would have um, on the heat coming off of the court on an already hot and muggy day. But that was apparently wrong. <laughs> you can't win. I can't win. You can't win, you can't win as a there broadcaster. Is, that is no, for no. Sure. You can't. You can't win as a broadcaster, <laughs> and you can't win on Twitter. I found that is this true. out. Like I, I try to grind out, and I try to answer all the messages, and I still will. But you can't win. There's always somebody that says, "No, I'm telling you, man. I saw the sky. There's no <laughs> way it's blue. There's just no way. I saw it. I saw it today. There's no way. I'm like, sir. No, that's just please. Peter Polanski. <laughs> Shout out. We'll have him on soon. <laughs> So that's going to do it for another edition of the Coffee Cast with Haitian and Ruben, powered by Behind the Racket and sponsored by New Balance. Go visit them at newbalance.com. So for Noah, I am Mike Haitian, and we'll talk to you next week on the Coffee Cast.